Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Today uh, I'm joined by Corey as always. Hello Corey. Jason, how you doing? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. Um, pretty warm over here in England, as most people may well, <laughs> may well notice. Um, as, as a rarity, our, our two days of summer have, have arrived early. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's cooling down a little bit, thank God. Thunderstorms for the weekend. Um, but, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully it's um, hopefully the, the warm weather continues throughout the summer, there's no doubt about that. Um, as well as the football, obviously that's what we're here to discuss. And today we are joined by Simeon, um, who is from, sorry, I can't remember the name of the podcast already, nice and professional as always from me, Um, but he is obviously a a Reading fan as we are covering the review for the game ready for Saturday. Simeon, how are we doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm from the Tylerst end, which is... uh, That's the one. It's named after one of the ends at our old uh, Elm Park ground. Uh, which moved out of a couple of decades ago. Nice little kind of uh, hark back to our to our history. Um, yeah, roasting as well down here in London as well. It's it's quite intense, but got some football to look forward to at the weekend. So makes up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I must admit, I, I know Reading pretty well. Um, I've got my wife's family's from Bracknell, so I, I know I've been to the Medeski uh, two or three times. I've worked in and around the Medeski on the retail park there a few times as well in in the past, so uh, I know the area pretty well. Um, and unfortunately, a place that, that uh, never really get a massive result derby. Unfortunately, over the last few years, it's always it's always been, it's been seemed to have been a bit of a stinker of a ground for derby over over recent years. But I'm sure we'll uh, we'll delve into that a little bit further um, as as the pod goes on. The first uh, first first thing I think we will will do, if that's all right with you, Simon, is if if you want to just um, have a, have a five minute chat about what you do and what your obviously appreciate your podcast about Reading, but if you want to have a bit of a discussion about you know your involvement with with your things, your end, um, and then we'll tie it in together. Uh, yeah, so I um, I edit the website I'm on podcast sometimes, um, but um, we yeah cover everything about Reading basically. It's um, opinion analysis, match coverage, play ratings, report, um, all the rest of it. Um, try to give a um, fairly kind of level-headed but also light-hearted take on, on all yeah. things Reading as well, which um, um, has been quite difficult over the last couple of years with um, a bit of a fall from grace in the last couple of years. Um, but uh, yeah, good to kind of give a bit of all-round coverage. Yeah, and that's what we're about basically. So, Simeon, how did you get into how did you get into the the podcast, um, sport media, Tilehurst, and kind of gig? What what made you do that? Obviously, you're a football fan and a Reading fan, but what tied it all together for you? Uh, so, I never used to do any kind of football writing really until I was at university. Um, then I saw this advert for for writing for the Tilehurst End in my first year, and I thought, well, I'll give that a go. Um, did that for a little bit, and then just fell in love with it. Basically, writing about it, doing a bit of podcasting as well. Um, and just went from there, really. I'm not actually originally from Reading. I'm a I'm from from Buckinghamshire, but my my family's from from Reading. So um, good to kind of get the the family link there, um, and kind of pick my university based on Reading as well. Uh, Royal Holloway, which isn't too far away from Reading, so it's kind of my education for three years was kind of based around being able to follow the club. Um, but 
any spare time, kind of a lot of that, putting it into writing about Reading, which really became a passion um, in my early 20s. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, um, it's obviously, I think we're all, we're, we're the same with, with our podcast. It's, as you say, light, light-hearted as you can be. Um, obviously, uh, as, as discussions go, as you said yourself, Reading's unfortunate fall from grace in some respects over over the last few years. Whereas obviously we've kind of gone the other way, where we've been right up on the upper echelons of things, in certainly in the championship, but never quite made it over the last. I think it's 12, 12, 12 straight seasons. I think now it is in the championship, so we're well established. <laughs> if, if you could use that as a terminology, now we're definitely well established. Um, obviously, from an outsider looking in, um, there's a couple of things that obviously jump out at me. Um, what would you say is predominantly, if there is one, um, any particular reason that you know the declines happened at Reading? I think we just kind of lost our way, to be honest with you. Um, when we were kind of on our up, on the on the up between kind of maybe around 2000 up until I guess kind of 2012, 2013, we knew what we were about basically, relatively, um small club, didn't have a lot of money to spend or anything, but a very cohesive club, um, very sensibly run with Sir John Medeski, um, obviously as the, the stadium named after him, um, very cohesive, very well planned out and all the rest of it. But as you start to go through different ownership changes, uh, Russian billionaire who in the end didn't have any money, uh, Titan Sortium that didn't really have a coherent plan of what to do with the club. Um, and then Chinese owners who have kind of, They've got the money, but they don't really quite have the understanding of, of how to build a club properly. It's just knocked us off the, off the rails, basically. And we've mm. kind of been going each season, trying to work out what to do each season, rather than building something over the course of a couple of years and really um, putting some together and, and improving in the long run. And um, I think if we can properly get that kind of long-term thinking back, uh, in the next couple of years, hopefully we can push back up the table. But when you do have that kind of that inconsistency, that um, inability to properly know what you're about as a club, um, it knocks you off your stride and it does push you down the table and put you in a bit of a mess in the short run, which is what we've gone through. Yeah, I think I'd, I think to be perfectly honest with you, there are a few similarities there. Certainly with Derby over the last. Say, say last 10 years since we came out of the Premier League in 2007. You know, ownership changes with people taking over of the club who probably didn't have the club's best interests at heart in some respects. Uh, I mean, even now, uh, obviously with Mel, uh, Mel Morris in charge, a Derby man, a, a businessman first and foremost, but a Derby man. Uh, you know, and even he makes mistakes. Obviously, I, I do know bits and pieces about Reading, as I say, the wife's family, quite a few of those are Reading fans and obviously... John Medeski did did wonders for the club at the time, you know, when when he was there. But yeah, I think there's there's a lot of similarities there between the between the two sides. To be perfectly honest with you, and obviously certainly something that I've noticed as a Derby fan. The longer you're in the Championship, it's just the harder that it is nowadays. It's just the harder it is to get out there um, with that constant investment. Um, and certainly from our point point of view, from a Derby perspective, even with that kind of investment. I mean, I'm sure most other fans in the league would not would not go amiss without noticing the kind of money that's being pumped that has been pumped into Derby over the last you know two three years. I mean, we're talking in the excess of 150 million into the playing squad, 
and when we're in some respects no better for it possibly even worse off certainly financially you know when you're looking at balancing the books so yeah it, it's very difficult it's something that I know we mentioned on a previous podcast uh, last week, um, a week before, you know, just, just trying to balance the books and keep yourself going in, in the championship, but trying to keep yourself competitive and things like that. And obviously we look back to some of the, I don't know about stars is the right word, but some of the players that we had, certainly when we was in the Premier League and a few years ago, and obviously some of the, some of the players that Reading managed to get, certainly in those Premier League years and things like that. And, uh, I mean, a fall from grace is not meant is not a disrespectful statement, but it, it, it's pretty true of both clubs in some respects over the last ten years. That you know the, the fall from grace. Obviously, I think we're for, as a football club we're kind of pushing our way at the other end ever so slightly with having gone through a few humps and bumps. I'm certainly hopeful, obviously, as a fan that we are getting to the to the other side of the journey, if you will, uh, which obviously returns us to the Premier League, um, but. Yeah, I, I do pick a, quite a few similarities in in the way and something we're going to go on to in a second that, that will cover the game, obviously, on, on Saturday. Um, I also know yourselves coming up to Pride Park have, have pretty much had the run of the rule against us against us there as well, to be perfectly honest with you, over the last four or five years. So it's going to be, uh, from on, on the pitch, it's going to be an intriguing, intriguing uh, match-up. Uh, but certainly off the pitch, I, I do draw certain similarities uh, between the two clubs, obviously, you, you, in all fairness, probably come from a, a smaller, known back from a smaller background. Certainly, when you made made yourselves up the leagues and things like that, I, I vaguely remember. I'm, I'm pretty sure the first year in the Premier League, uh, sorry, first year in the Championship when we came down uh, in 2008. I think our first game was against you at Pride Park, and I think, if memory serves me right, you'd just been promoted from League One or the old second division or whatever it may well have been called back then. Um, and, and, and no disrespect meant for this comment, but, you, you know, we'd obviously been mixing with various... Sorry, this wasn't 2007. This was 2000... It was when we originally got relegated from the Premier League. So about 2001, 2002 it would have been. Sorry. Yeah, and I think you'd just come up, literally just come up from the first division, second division, whatever you want to call it. Um and I just remember again, as I say, no disrespect, but you know, you look at you look at the teams that were in there. There were a few that you knew, but then you know the name Reading cropped up, and you were like, right, okay, you know, a, a lower league team that's obviously managed to get themselves back up there after however many years. I'm unfortunately not too sure on your history, but you know that kind of thing. And I think I think we won three nil that day. Um, and certainly coming back, as I say, from relegation from the Premier League, the first game back, it was like, oh well. Derby taking taking the stride, and I don't think we won any of the next six games. So you know, it's things like that. I think I know we've met in the cup a few times over the last few, uh, certainly as well as the league, um, you know, the league things. And I think it's always been a it's always been a pretty pretty close con, you know, close contest. And I don't think Derby have really got the better of Reading that many times. I vaguely remember a trip to the Midayski in I think it was two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, we were pushing for the playoffs. Um, and I think you yourselves were up there, certainly when we first started um, hitting, hitting the playoffs just before we got promoted. I know Reading were one of those teams that were up there, and I think we travelled to the Medeski. I think we won on a Monday night, if memory serves me right, with a 1-0 win, um, and the Medeski was a bit of a fortress back back then. Um, so that that propelled us then to, to push on to what, unfortunately, was a, was a failed promotion uh, playoff push, but at the end of the day, yeah. It's some fun memories of home and away games. Um, 
I remember three or four years ago, I think we'd got yourselves at Pride Park on the last day of the season where we only needed a point and we ended up getting stuffed 3-0 and, and losing losing out in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, uh, my opinion of um, this, this fixture is going to be, it's, it's one of, of, of caution. Um, certainly from a Derby perspective, after the, obviously the first game back, the result against Millwall uh, down at the Den at the weekend, where in parts we played pretty well, in others we didn't. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we escaped with a 3-2 win and I don't think many teams will will come have and can, will continue to come away from the den with uh, with maximum points. Um, I would say that if this game was at the Medeski, obviously earlier on in the season was a was a three nil was a three nil Reading result. I think if memory serves me right, I, if mem again, I think Scott Malone got a, sent off very early on in that game. Yeah, four um, minutes in, and they had two penalties. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think that was one of the. I mean. You may well not know how quite how our season's gone uh, this season. That uh, our away record has been absolutely treacherous. It really has. And I think, if memory serves me right, the first opening, even after the penalty, uh, and obviously we, we we went down to ten men. I think it was the best that we'd played away from home uh, all season for about the first twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. And it was almost as if we was going to turn the you know the game around and get get a foothold in it. And obviously, whatever whatever happened happened, and it, it didn't quite go that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those that Saturday, as we've discussed, and I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, Simeon, that you know it's football at the minute is a bit of a peculiar peculiar thing that we can't really predict which way which way things are going to go. Um, and I think any any Derby fan thinking that after a result at Millwall uh, last week and, and then strolling into Pride Park. On Saturday and expected to turn ready and ready over. I think they're going to be sadly mistaken. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah, it's odd times, really. Um, I think any kind of understanding of how form works at the minute is it doesn't really apply in the same sense. I mean, obviously, you go back to pre-lockdown. If you win a game, you think, right, we're going to bounce on and hopefully get another win. But when you come off, what is it, three months, like a hundred days plus of, yeah. of no football, it's it's just as much about how fit you are, how motivated you are in, in a way that it isn't usually about before, before lockdown. It's, it's the little things really. And I think a lot of the kind of the little work that that managers do behind the scenes over lockdown, keeping players fit, keeping them motivated is really going to come into, um, into, into play in a way that we can't really kind of predict really because football is obviously so different. Um, from our point of view, that um, Stoke game that we had back, it was very kind of lethargic for a lot of it. There were some, some good signs, certainly, but um, certainly also looked like a team that um, just looked rusty for a lot of it as well. And um, bouncing back from that, I, I don't really know how we're going to do it with a kind of um, a season that looks like it's petering out at the minute, looks like it's just going to end up in mid-table and motivating the players who just come back from three months without any football to then say, can you go and get a result at Derby? It's it's not an easy thing to do. So I'm not entirely sure how we're going to face up to it, to be honest. And I think in addition to that, Simeon, you know, obviously you guys have, within the last week, unfortunately had that terror attack as well. So our sympathies go out to, to you and your fans that have been affected by that. And, you know, hopefully everybody, uh, you know, you and your friends are all okay. Um, but yeah, you know, that's another thing. In addition to the, the COVID and, 
and playing in front of empty stadiums is, is that the players have that burden now on them in a way. This is the first game since that. And I know, especially from American sports, when, you know, we get um, – we unfortunately have those instances and they play, you know, it can be a strange atmosphere on top of it, what we could consider already a strange atmosphere with the games as well. So, you know, that's, that's an additional thing that, that you guys this weekend have to consider and play through as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, walk me through. Um, I looked at the results prior to um, the lockdown and the championship. Obviously, you had a cup game with Sheffield uh, United in there in between, but a 3-1 win against Birmingham, a 2-0 win against Barnsley. Um, and then, you know, like you said, the turgid draw against Stoke. Um, and I'm sure you've been watching a lot of the football as I have, um, especially just I just was finished watching Burley and Watford. And just say I'm glad that this podcast was at this time so I could cut out the last five minutes. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the football is turgid. A lot of the football is uh, different. So um, what, are your, what are your expectations for the game um, on Saturday against, against Derby? I think it's going to be a good, good game, to be honest. Um, our players are really going to want to uh, try and bounce back from the, from the last fixture. Um, and I think Mark Bowen will tell them, go out there, try and make a good start, try and make a quick start and, and impose yourselves on, on the game. And that's something that maybe you wouldn't usually do in an away match when you've got the home crowd to play against, um, when it's a lot more intimidating, particularly going to somewhere like Pride Park. is It's not easy to impose yourself at. Um, but without the, the home fans, it makes it much more of a leveller. Um, and I think particularly when you look at the results in, say, the Bundesliga, where that home advantage has kind of been taken out because there aren't the home fans. Um, and it can be just as easy for, for away teams to, to really get into it. And I think Mark Bowen's going to say, look, use that as a bit of, in, a bit of inspiration. Try and um, enjoy yourselves, basically. Try and, and have some fun with it. And because of that, I can see us doing well for... Um, the earlier stages, um, really, it's the it's the fatigue that comes into play after that. Um, how how long can you go across the rest of the game? And that was one of the annoying things about the Stoke game for me. I wanted us to really keep the ball and really make Stoke work and tire them out and um, use that to our advantage. Basically, use that fatigue problem to to our advantage. But we didn't quite do that. If we can do that against yourselves and hopefully after a good start, then I think we'll have a good chance, but other than that, it could be um, uh, one that's a bit topsy-turvy throughout the afternoon. So, obviously, you know, Derby's 12th of the table and we're, what, three points off the playoff places and whatever. You're currently sitting in 14th. Um, is the expectation at the Modeski then playoffs? Or what, what are the expectations that, that, that you see or you hear from the fan base and, and the camp in, as a whole? I think there's very kind of outside hopes of a playoff push, but when there's a big uh, point gap and obviously a lot of other teams pushing for the top six as well, it's it's probably not realistic this season, to be honest. I think we've left it just a little bit too late. And if we were to get that, we needed that win against Stoke to really give us a bit of momentum and push us up. And if we had got that win, that would have been six points off the top six. Um, good springboard into the rest of the season, but I think we just left it too late, to be honest, to to get there. But because there's such a small gap between this season and next season, it's not just about um, what we can do this season, but use it as a springboard for next season. If you can get a bit of momentum going in this campaign, hopefully push up and really attack next season quickly. Um, if we can finish this season kind of top half, maybe top 10 or so, probably not 
too close to the playoffs, but as long as we have that kind of positive end to the campaign, um, I think it gives us a, a good a good start for next season, basically. And that's probably more the realistic hope than anything about playoffs this season, to be honest. Yeah, I think Jason and myself, we've talked about this on a couple other podcasts recently. You know, obviously with Derby at 12th, everyone's kind of feeling like, yeah, we can make a push to the playoffs and everything like that. But, you know, we spoke last week, I think, Jason, about one one result, one loss completely changes the whole complex of of everything. The team selection changes, everything changes because that one loss, like you said, there's just not enough games there then to make up that gap. Um, fortunately for Derby, though, we play everybody that's ahead of us. It's a bit of a dual-edged sword. It's unfortunate, but every game's kind of a six-pointer in that in that respect as well, so you can make a lot of ground up quickly. But I think, you know, similar to yourselves, you know, I think I'm very hopeful of a top half, uh, you know, a top half finish or a mid-table finish for Derby this season, get some momentum going into next year. But, um, you know, with, with such a short season in the way it is, you know, three or four wins can – I uh, could do everybody a world of good in the championship. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. But, um, you know, there's an optimism that we could make a late play- playoff push as well. So, you know, we, you know, and I was my, that was going to lead me into my next question to you. And I can kind of go ahead and answer it. You know, how, how, how Premier League ready is the Reading squad? You know, we were, we were looking at it from our end. And we had this discussion, you know, off not on a podcast, just discussing it amongst ourselves the other day that, you know, we've got four or five youngsters coming through now into the Derby team. I'm, you, you'll see that on Saturday. Uh, Jason Knight, Louis Sibley, uh, Max Bird, Morgan Whitaker. We've got two young fullbacks, Bogle and, Bogle and Lowe. Um, and if we were to go up in the Premier League, how many of them actually play week in and week out? So it's a dual-edged sword where, yeah, we go up and we finally achieve this dream of getting to the Premier League. But if we go up, those young players are probably not going to play as much and it's going to stump their development. So how how – Ready is the Reading squad for Reading and Ready was very difficult to say in the same sentence. <laughs> how how Premier League ready is the squad at Reading? Uh, certainly a lot more ready than last season. When this time last year, rather when we kind of didn't really have a proper spine to the team, we didn't really have that kind of individual quality. Um, at the minute, I would say we've got a lot of good individual talent, uh, a lot of creative players like Ijaria, Swift, Elise, Puskas. Um, and although they're kind of they're eye-catching players, they're certainly very talented players. I think they need another season in the championship to really kind of hone their abilities and really kind of get that extra bit of experience. Basically, people like Ajara and Elise, I think, are going to be very good next season, very dangerous. But if we did somehow manage to get into the Premier League, it's just be a little bit too early for them. They're kind of a little bit raw. Um, and I think it's the same thing with Derby, to be honest. When you've got a lot of young players, you need to give them that extra bit of experience and they will learn from that and and kick on properly. Um, if you kind of ask too much of them too early, it's well, it's too much of an ask, basically. And I think we're kind of in a, in a sibling position from that point of view. I think uh, that pretty much takes me on to the next question that I was certainly going to ask. Um, as you say... Um, from from a Derby's perspective, a few youngsters coming through, and like you say, there, you know, the the expectation. If you put too much of an expectation on them, then you know that that can have a negative effect, j- just as much as as a, as a positive. Um, and as you say, you know, champ, let's face it, championship experience is 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 just not as good as the Premier League, as obviously, but you know, it, it's the gap has certainly got less, in my opinion. Um, 
from the you know top echelons of the championship, the top six to eight, possibly push down to ten. But, but I'd certainly say that the main eight that challenge challenging the championship season in season out. To you know, you look at the teams. Um, I know me and Corey were mentioning this, uh, and I've certainly mentioned it to fellow Derby fans. I mean, Norwich, you know, blew away the league last year in in some respects. Uh, there's certainly the two games that I saw where we were involved. Um, I think we drew with them at home and beat them away. And there was nothing about that Norwich side that really blew me away to say that, you know, they, they were they were a champ, champions team. Um, and I think that's, in, in all fairness, that other than Pookie up front, you know, it, it, as we have mentioned before, Corey, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, Simeon, that, you know, if you've got a 25-goal striker up front in the championship, I don't think really this. Not that the other ten players don't matter, because of course they do. But you know, somebody who can score you twenty-five goals a season is going to going to keep you in at least that top half. And all you've got to have is probably another two or three players performing seven out of ten week in week out, and you can you can find yourself strangely, you know, challenging for those playoffs and things like that. And um, I think Norwich has has proven that you know I'm not so sure that they were all that good. Um, and I, I think back to. Certainly, the side, the Reading side that um, that won the championship, appreciate it was a few years ago now. But that was a team that dominated the league. You know, you, we don't really get teams now that dominate the championship. Um, so, obviously, as we say, the transition to move it up into the Premier League. Um, some some teams might not struggle as much as they might think. Uh, I agree with Corey that you know another year of championship. Uh, for, for certainly for our younger players is is going to be you know a, a positive. Um, in terms of the game on Saturday, who are the danger? I appreciate you just mentioned a few there. Where's the game won and lost from a Reading perspective uh, on Saturday? From our perspective, particularly in an attacking uh, sense, it's how much we can get John Swift into the game. Basically, he's certainly our most uh, creative player. Our most a consistently creative player, even if he has an off day, you can still see him scoring a free kick or coming up with a set-piece assist uh, kind of thing. And I think he's a good example of someone who's um, maybe a couple of seasons ago was a, was a talented player who needed that extra game time, needed that experience to develop. He's now got that. Um, he's consistent and he's been very good for us this season, come up with a lot of, um, a lot of chance creation and found the net a few times as well. Um, Otherwise, um, I think you're all a little bit lucky that Lucas Zhao is out. He was a, a big threat for us earlier on against Stoke. He's that kind of... He's not a classic target man in that he'll kind of hold the ball up and not be able to move very quickly. Um, Chris Martin is an example. We had a couple of seasons ago who was more of that kind of less mobile target man. Zhao's the kind of guy who can hold on to the ball and maybe have a run with it, maybe beat a man as well. And he's got that kind of all-round ability, but... Annoyingly, he's out for maybe two or three weeks at the minute. Um, in his absence, George Puskas is probably going to be our lone striker. Um, can be a little bit difficult to get into the game, though. If he's on it, if he's got that um, ability uh, to get into the game, then he can be a real danger. But if you do mark him out and, and isolate him, then that's one of our main focal points out. Um, otherwise, Michael Lees, a uh, very creative player. He's got that kind of... He's, again, he's got that mix. He's got the pace. He's got the ability on the ball. Usually in a number ten role, um, behind the striker, um, 
very young at the minute. He's still only 18, so he's kind of pretty raw as well. But he's, he's certainly got the ability to to come up with something, and he certainly wanted to, to look out for on Saturday. I've uh, just a name that's just jumped out at me. Certainly, I remember coming up against him. Does is it Mo Barrow? Is he still is he still at Reading? Uh, he was a couple of seasons ago, but we uh, filmed him out on loan this season because ah. he, he didn't really fit. Um, our last manager, Jose Gomez, had a thing of getting rid of every winger that he could because he didn't want to play with any wingers. And Barrow is a kind of orthodox, pacey, wide man. Well, you know, oh, absolutely. Didn't want he him. Terrified, terrified me when I, when I, I remember seeing him. Uh, he terrified Derby once or twice. Um, certainly... It, it, any team that come and attack Derby with any any form of pace down the wings is, is always going to get joy, um, unfortunately for us. Um, and he was one. I just remember him. And I, obviously, as you say, Swift, I appreciate he's been there for a couple of seasons now. I know there was uh, there was another guy that I can't remember his name now. Um, it, it's just, you know, threatening, worrying, <laughs> worrying, worrying, uh, worrying players um, for pay, with pace, raw pace. Um, we, we've got a couple in our side, um, not necessarily the greatest with the ball at the feet. They can, don't get me wrong, they'll run all day, um, but their end product sometimes, sometimes is a little bit lacking. Um, but if, if memory serves me right, certainly Barrow was, was big, strong, powerful. He, he was, it wasn't quite a, a lean, you know, lean streak of a, of a player that you'd expect for a winger. It was a bit more about power as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I there's one particular game, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, um, certainly I think he was at the Medeski, and I was listening to it on radio commentary, and his name was just being mentioned every every 90 seconds that he'd picked the ball up and, and gone down the wing with it, and we, we just couldn't cope with the man. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased he's, uh, he's, he's probably not about anymore, to be perfectly honest with you, but I'm, I'm certainly not going to underestimate, um, obviously, what is coming, because, as, as I've mentioned a little bit earlier, Reading are a team that seems to be um, it seems to have Derby's number over the last few years. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, sorry, yeah, it was three 0 obviously earlier this season at the Medeski. I don't remember too much about the results last year. Um, may well have got the better of your own, but certainly at the Medeski, I, I know for a few years now we've we we have struggled for results. Um. I'll tell you what, Simeon, you, you made my day telling me that Lucas Zhao is out. Because I was looking at yeah. the highlights before coming on here, and I didn't ever fancy him playing when he was at Sheffield Wednesday. And he ripped us a new one and played us off the park uh, in the game. And, and for you to say that, that has literally just made my day and my week. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, unfortunately for him, he's injured. But thankfully for us, he will not be playing. That's fantastic news. Thank you for that. That's a pick-me-up I needed. Yeah, anytime. Um, yeah, and it's a big miss for us as well, to be honest. Um, um, I'm mentioning other players there, people like Elise Swift, uh, Ijaria as well. And that's the thing about Jean, we can bring in those players to the game. And I think when you have him in the team, um, the other players around him play better. They, they're more effective. Um, and we are badly going to miss him. I think he got a goal and uh, won a penalty against you in the reverse fixture. But the kind of reverse, the kind of game where you did have good spells and 3-0 win probably wasn't quite a fair reflection of the entire game. I think uh, you might have hit the post at 1-0 through Lawrence, mm. I think, on the counter. Um, 
And you seemed at that time to be the kind of team that, yeah, you had not the best away form, but you weren't a particularly bad team. You just didn't have that edge to um, to get the first goal or to keep a sloppy first goal out. And it's kind of the, the sign of a, of a team's bad luck when they get a red card in the first few minutes, concede a penalty and Charlie Adam of all people scores it. Um, we've certainly been there over the last couple of years and um, good to see you kind of kicked on since then, basically up to, up to 12. One of the other names I wanted to mention with you, is you just mentioned him there, Charlie Adam. My dad's a Blackpool fan. Uh, Charlie Adam, football genius. We call him the Scottish furlough, actually. He's kind of um, probably a little bit kind to, uh, to him. He's got a terrific range of passing, but not really too much else. He's probably one of the least mobile players you'll see in the championship. Um, but he's been pretty good for us. He's scored a couple of goals, certainly had a lot of experience. Um, and when you do have a player like that with that, with that passing range, someone who can uh, knock the ball about a bit and and find someone on the opposite flank, it, it unlocks the pitch in a way that other players uh, can't do. So he's certainly been an asset. Um, to be honest, I hope we don't re-sign him for another season because he's kind of getting on a bit. I think he's well into his mid-30s. Um, but for one season, he's been, he's, he's been a, a good a good option. I think it's one of those things, isn't it, Corey, that, you know, we, we um, as I'm sure, Reading are assuming that, you know, you, you've got a couple of people that are coming to the end of the contracts uh, with, those exp- with that experience. And just that, with that slight unknown of obviously what football is at this moment in time, in, in terms of the transfer window and what kind of finances um, are going to be about, obviously, something that me and Corey have discussed in length on previous podcasts. You know, it, it's that type of player where he's got a little something in the locker that would make you think twice, if that's the right, if that's the right word, um, about, you know, in these unprecedented times, do you offer him that other 12-month contract? Possibly on reduced terms. Certainly something that we're doing at Derby with the aforementioned uh, Chris Martin, his contract's uh, up in the summer, who's come back to us after a couple of loan spells. Obviously, you, you saw him yourself. Um, and he, he's been he's been a revelation. He's been a breath of fresh air at 31, 32, I think he is, um, in our team this season uh, because of the way that he plays. And we've, we are, nego- as, as it stands, we are negotiating a 12 months extension uh, because, you know, as I say, the transfer market, just you, you're not 100% sure quite where where it's going to go and I think we had Corey may well be able to confirm this uh, I think it was about five or six first team players that were were due um, I think there's been two or three of those that we've renewed for at least 12, for, for 12 months um, just because you know trying to replace six or seven which if is you know a good third of your squad I would say Um you know that's going to be difficult to replace that in in these times. Yeah, so we've got quite a few players out of contract ourselves actually. Um, McCleary, Gunter, Blackett, players with a, a decent amount of experience, particularly uh, McCleary and Gunter. And um, we need those players off the books. To be quite honest with you, you've got a massive wage bill. I think our our turnover was about two hundred percent going by the eighteen nineteen um, accounts book, um, which I think set a championship record, and we badly need to get that, that wage bill down. Um, so presuming we do get those players off the books and 
maybe we'll give a few extra contracts out on re on reduced terms. Um, maybe maybe someone like Adam for another year on on not too much money, but I wouldn't expect us to replace them. To be quite honest with you, it's going to be about kind of bringing in players on not too high wages, just to bring that wage bill down and um, rebalance the club financially, basically because obviously revenue isn't. Um, in a good state at the minute with no match day revenue but we've not been in a good state for a couple of years now parachute payments ended a little while ago um, don't have too much coming in in the, in the way of broadcast revenue Sky don't want to show Reading for some reason um, but yeah it's tough times but hopefully get those players off the books and we can have just clear things up a little bit one of the things, sorry, Corey. No, go on, Jason. Just, just to add to that point, one of the things that I know from certainly from a Derby perspective, as I say, Chris Martin, the Tom Huddleston being another one um, that, uh, of a name that you may well know, and there are a couple of others that have been with the club for a while, um, and we've um, just recently put out on Twitter, you know, asking our fans what they think. Um, of Chris Gunter being certainly one of the ones, Tyler Blackett, as you say, a, a, a pretty well-known name in the Championship. I think it comes to a point where we were certainly very similar with Tom Huddleston, where he's, he's an homegrown Derby boy. He came through the youth ranks at Derby, you know, did well to make his career away from Derby in some respect, uh, the likes of Tottenham and then, and then moving on to Hull and, and back to us. Um, obviously, sentiment, I appreciate those that haven't really come through your ranks as such, but, you know, as, as a sentiment um, to them, uh, we, you know, we're, we aren't in a financial position, even though our owner will put money in, you know, it's, it's, it's that difficult balance between, um, is it worth the 12 months, as you said, definitely on reduced terms, definitely on reduced terms, just to have that experience around, but also obviously what kind of a, going forward into obviously the remaining games of this season and onto next season, whenever it starts, what sort of impact are they going to play? Uh, you know, what kind of a part are they going to play? And we said, you know, at this moment in time, we, we would stand here as Derby fans, a lot of us, and say that Chris Martin at 31, 32, is probably still one of the number one names on the team sheet. Whereas just be, just because of the style of the style of play that he he brings and the way that we play, but then you look at somebody like Tom Huddleston, who I think he's now 30, he's about the same thirty one, thirty two, um, you know, a range of passing that would you know come up against some of the best in Europe. In all fairness, on on the day, but a bit similar to Charlie Adam in, in probably in some respects doesn't offer a great deal else, and they're the ones that we certainly be we have got, you know, we're well stacked in that position as well. Um, it, it's a bit of a difficult one where, you know, experience is great, um, but eventually you've got to cut ties. And as you say, coming into what's going to be some very, very uncertain financial times, I would have thought with football clubs, and certainly something that me and Corey have mentioned recently, you know, I think championship, certainly championship teams going forward, they're not going to be able to pay out the 20, 25k a week. Um, obviously, appreciate Reading. Some of top, the top earners might not quite be on that much, but certainly from a Derby perspective, you know, 20, 25 plus is, is about there or thereabouts for the majority of the squad, I would say. Still, um, you know, the, the need to reduce that probably to more of an average of below 20, possibly even towards 15, just for, for sustainability purposes over the next couple of years. Um, 
Chris Gunter's obviously has always been one that has been in the squad at Reading uh, over the last few years. Uh, is he somebody who's played a big part this year? Uh, has been involved a lot this year? Uh, not quite so much, actually. He was basically our um, uh, our clear number one, basically, for a number of years. Uh, seems to have came back down from Premier League last, um, basically up until about 2018. So he had a, a good kind of five-year run. Um, but he went off the boil towards the end of that and um, got replaced by Andy Yeardom, who's been far more impressive in the last kind of two seasons. Gunter has basically been back up and... Um, I think we have to appreciate that he's coming towards the end of his career. He's not there at the yet, there yet, but he's certainly at the stage where he needs to think. Um, I'm out of contract now. Where do I go to get first team football? Because he's not going to be guaranteed that in the future. He's, he needs to pick somewhere that he's going to play regularly. Um, certainly appreciate a lot, though. Um, a player who's very valuable behind the scenes. And I'd say that about experienced players, both Reading and Derby, to be honest, because because we do have quite a few young players and we really want to bring them through. Um, the experience of other players in the squad isn't just about what they offer on the pitch, but how much can they offer in terms of developing those young players? Because when you do have people like Charlie Adam in the squad, Chris Gunter, Tom Huddleston, they do pass on a lot to, to younger players and that does pay off in the long run. So... Although you do, you do have to consider, um, are they good value for money on the pitch? There is that element of um, what else can they offer kind of in the long run through, through other players, basically. So, Simeon, who is your most important player? You've named, you've named a, a few names in here, but if you had to pick one player that you need week in and week out to make Reading tick, who is that? Um, again, I go back to John Swift just because of his creativity and... I think he's got that kind of that range of passing and that that ingenuity that we can't really get from anyone else. And certainly we do have other creative players in the squad, but they're not quite as consistent as he is. He's not got that ability to kind of come up with something um, creative, even when he's not on a not having a particularly good day. Um, otherwise, I guess Raphael as well, our goalkeeper from uh, from Sampdoria that we signed on a free in the summer, who's um, I was a little bit unsure at the start how kind of how quickly he'd settle into to life in England. Obviously, very different from playing in Italy and playing in Brazil before that. But he settled in really well, and he's a he's the kind of goalkeeper that just exudes confidence. Basically, he's got that experience. He's got that that command of his box. Very good shot stopper as well. There was there was one game at Fulham on uh, New Year's Day actually where he saved. Uh, three very difficult shots in very quick succession and it really kind of shows you just how agile a goalkeeper is besides being a, a commanding a commanding guy as well and um, he saved us a lot of points this season basically I think he may have come up with a few good saves against Derby earlier, in the, earlier on in the season but certainly the kind of player that you, that you need in your squad Who is your um, what? How, because I'm not obviously not necessarily watching Reading every week where do you guys get most of your goals from? Is it is it counterattacks? Do you play more of a possession-based game? Um, are you more of a high balls and crosses and, and headed goals and things like that? Or is it is a bit of a mixture? Uh, a bit of a mixture, really. Um, we've kind of had to, I would say, try different things this season because a lot of our goals were basically on the counter um, towards the end of 2019. Had a really good kind of um, run of results right at the end of the year and then into New Year's Day as well, where we'd 
um, soak up a lot of pressure and then hit teams on the counter. Um, but since Xiao's been out a lot of the a lot of the time, we've had to try different things. We've had to try getting Puskas in as a lone striker, try making more of a Jaru and Swift, and it's kind of been a bit of a bit of everything really. Generally, it's been I wouldn't say too direct. It's been more about building play through people like Swift and Ajaria. Um, not really hugging the touchline in the same way. Um, you mentioned pace earlier, something that Derby might struggle with. We don't really have those kind of out-and-out quick players that, players that are really going to stretch a team. It's more about um, rotation between people like Ajaria and Swift and, and unlocking a defence a little bit more purposely. Um, not um, possession for the sake of it, but just a little bit kind of a little bit more intelligent than than we have been in the past. Yeah, because in addition to the to the pace aspect, we also I'm sure you'll you'll see if you look at some of the Derby highlights. Um, Derby struggle with crosses. Uh, when you say the goalkeeper for Reading uh, is commanding, that's almost the exact opposite. And exudes <laughs> confidence. That's almost the exact opposite of both Derby goalkeepers. Um, so we're basically two number two goalkeepers. Um, I granted they, they play goal better than me, um, but at the same time, it's a uh, it's a bit they don't necessarily exude confidence. Um, and we concede a lot of goals, a lot of our goals, not only for this season but maybe over the past five years, have come from crosses, um, corners, um, set pieces, really, um, because we we struggle to to head a ball away and clearing and. Um, and those kind of things. So to hear that that's not necessarily the number one. Um, we, we were talking to a, a lad from Millwall last week, and um, he said, yeah, you know, Millwall put crosses it. And sure enough, that's how they got one of their goals. You know, he just jumped over our fullback because he couldn't jump. And so um, that's, good to, that's good to hear that. So we've got two good things, Jason. <laughs> you know, they don't send crosses in. Lucas Zhao's out. So there we go. Yeah, Pos- positives for us. Um, so fully focusing on the game then. Uh, on Saturday, we obviously we have to do a score prediction. Corey, you went last last week. You're going to go first this week. Okay, uh, score prediction. I'm going to go two one to Derby. Okay, uh, I'll I'll go next. I'm going to err on the side of obviously last week's score prediction was always a little bit tricky with obviously with the first game back. I was pleasantly surprised with with quite a bit of Derby. Uh, obviously, having watched them all season, um, I was fully expecting the opposite Derby to turn up. To be perfectly honest with you, last week, um, whilst there was uh, imperfections in the game, of course, but uh, yeah, I, I'm actually a lot more confident um, this week, especially with being at home. That's obviously, rare for you, Jason. Yeah, I know, I know, and as, I appreciate home uh, home advantage is is out the window at the moment. Um, but I, I got a feeling after last week's result, I'd be surprised if we don't, um, no disrespect meant, but get a comfortable result. Um, I'm going to go three, one. Simeon. I think on the basis that I, um, I always go into, into games at Derby feeling a bit, a little bit worried, a little bit trepidatious. Um, and then we enter, we tend to, to get a decent result. I'm going to go with a two, one Reading win. Um, partially because of the, um, the the higher number of away wins since lockdown as well. I've, I'm, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but then again, I, I kind of was for the, the game at Derby last season, and I think that was our first loss at Pride Park in a little while. 
So mm. it'll probably come back to bite me, but I'm going to stick with my guns and say 2-1 Reading. And, and, and as I don't think I can argue that point based on based on previous, over the last, certainly the last two or three years. It's, it is one of those that could go either way. No doubt about that. So, Corey, so, anything to add? Yeah, just a couple more things for you, Simeon, before we let you go. Um, real quick, all-time Reading favourite player. Is it Jimmy? Is it Jimmy Kebby? Um, I think it is, yeah. He was, he was kind of a bit of a maverick, really. Um, bit of an odd player, an odd guy all round, to be honest. Um, he kind of disappeared off the face of the earth after he, not too long after, after he left us. I think he's now a, a professional poker player. Which kind of add, adds to the enigma, adds to the, the mystery of the chap who was very quiet when he was with us as well. There was one famous day where he, um, we were beating West Ham comfortably at home and he stopped on the touchline when he had the ball to, to pull his socks up. And I think West, um, which kind of incensed a couple of West Ham players around him and um, it's kind of written him into Reading folklore in a, little, in a little way. And I think it still has West Ham fans angry at him even to this day, which... Yeah, I love him a lot. And of, and of course, his number one podcast is the Tyler Hurst End. Am I right? It, it is indeed, yeah. The official Jimmy Kebby awesome. approved uh, Red, Reading podcast. Well, well spotted, thank you. <laughs> so, um, also a couple more things, just real quick. Mark Bowen, you want to keep him or do you want to can him at the end of the season? Uh, we're giving him another year um, at the end of this season. And I think that's probably about the right decision. We've had too many times in the last couple of years where we've just kind of gone through managers too quickly we've cycled through them without giving them a, a proper chance to build and I think that's the right decision basically he's not pulled up too many trees he's been solid he's given us steady improvement in the time he's been here and I, I'd back him to to build on that basically and it's kind of a similar thing with Koku as well I'd like to see him get a chance to properly build Derby um, in the long run and hopefully kind of improve those young players you have um, and maybe we're going to be sat here next season with both managers having improved. So, um, yeah, I, I, was on, I was not on the Kaku train, and now I am fully on the Kaku train. Uh, Jason will attest to that. I've fully bought into Philip Kaku and, and what he's trying to do. Um, looking for connections between Derby and Reading, there's one obvious one from the most recent past, uh, Paul Clement. Um, didn't necessarily hit the heights at Derby that warranted his release video and then driving a pl uh, flying a private jet to like Miorca to go and pick him up that he came with all this fanfare as a career assistant um and you know he lost a couple games to some very turgid teams and he goes well I've won the Champions League that's not helping your case when you're losing like three and four nil to to bottom of the league teams you know um so your thoughts on Paul Clement's time at Reading probably one of the blandest managers we've had to be honest with you it's uh, I, I try I try and be fair to every manager I try and kind of um give them a little bit of a little bit of slack and try and understand what they're doing the thing about Paul Clement is that we never had any idea what he was trying to achieve was he a possession manager counter-attacking manager pragmatic whatever is he um, a good man manager we still don't have any idea basically um even after all this time and I think the consensus is that he was, a, he was a nice enough chap, but he just didn't impose himself, basically. He didn't have proper, clear ideas of what he wanted to do. And levels of apathy among the fan base kind of reached new levels um, under Paul Clement. He was a completely uninspiring guy and um, very much in contrast to the last two managers that we've had, who are much more charismatic, much more um, 
inspiring for fans basically and we don't look back on his time with any any real fondness there weren't really any any highlights bar kind of scraping safety in his eight games at the end of his first season but apart from that nothing really positive to look back on yeah I think the highlights for Paul Clement were um signing some really poor players for some very big money um which we're still trying to shift off well I think we just shifted the last one off um with a catchy Anya. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think he was um, not necessarily the most um, effervescent, uh, big word of the day, effervescent. I read, I had read a dictionary before. Um, I'm going to say it one more time, effervescent uh, manager um, that, that you could have had. So a um, couple more things from me, and then I'll turn it back over to Jason. Um, obviously I'm in America. Uh, we have a few listeners in America and Reading player, Bobby Convey, um, legend. So, Bobby Convey, sum him up in a few words. Um, magical maestro, basically. Um, he was capable of some absolute mag- uh, magical moments during his time. I think it was one, um, one goal during our famous 106-point season in 2005-2006 where we beat Millwall comfortably and he dribbled pretty much the full length of the pitch and beat the goalkeeper. He had that ability to just take the ball past players with ease. And it's a shame that he didn't, we didn't see more of him in the Premier League, to be honest, because he, because of injury problems, but he's certainly someone that um, we look back on very fondly and um, delighted to have him. Um, a couple of American players, actually, uh, Marcus Harneman Marcus as well, at the yeah. same period. Um, and I think because of Harneman and Convy, we've got a nice little Reading following um, over stateside. We did a, a, a little kind of exploration into a, where Reading fans are across the world a couple of months ago on the tireless end and there's people from all across. Final point from me um, has to be, as, you, as we mentioned earlier, you know, eight games to go, you, you probably see yourselves just on the outskirts of, of making, making a push for the playoffs uh, and, a, and a, you know, a top half, top 10 finish being being what would be a productive season. I think, in all fairness, from for me personally as a Derby fan, and I think if you would say the same, even though we, we might be that couple of points better off, I think we are still looking at that top half, top 10 being being a very productive season with what has been a season of change again for Derby. Moving forward then, as you say, that you've got a few lads there that, you know, would be, would appreciate another season of championship football under the belt, ready to ready to move on aspirations for next season i suppose every every team has to start with the aspirations of getting promoted but uh, you know re- realistically can they build on what is going to what is looking like a, a at least a top half finish for reading this season it's tough to judge at the minute really because i have no idea kind of how we can prepare in terms of the transfer market um usually you'd be going into it thinking right where can we strengthen but when the financial times are so difficult because of covid um, it's kind of hard to predict because of that, but the club certainly seems a lot more stable at the minute because of the talented players we can keep and hopefully develop. Um, Mark Bowen as well staying and and hopefully kind of working with the squad a bit. And because of that stability and because of the the potential we do have there already, um, I think top six is certainly attainable next season. Um, obviously, we'd like a few additions in the summer to. Um, to to help that, but at the minute, I think we've got enough to push the top six next season. Lovely. Well, Simon, it's been absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Talking to 
about Reading and everything that's been happening there, and of course discussing discussing the game on Saturday. Very the best of luck to Reading for on Saturday, not too much, uh, and the rest of the season. As long as you don't pip us to sixth place, uh, we'll we'll be more than happy with that. And uh, if we find ourselves both in the same division next season, then uh, we'll be sure to uh, be sure to catch up with you and uh, have a good discussion discussion next season as well. Cheers! Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Simeon. Thank Appreciate it. Cheers. Our thanks to Simeon there for uh, from the Thailand podcast, um, cracking to get in touch with us and uh, be able to be able to do this podcast together. Um, hopefully, that gave our listeners a bit of an insight as to what we can expect turning up to Pride Park on Saturday. Um, and as you heard from our camp, we're quite confident of a, of a Derby County win um, with some different opinion from the Reading side. But we'll uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see on Saturday. So moving away from that, what we are going to do is obviously just briefly touch on what happened last week, as it was the first game back for about 100 and something odd days, um, and our trip to the Den uh, with Millwall. So, um, Corey, I know you caught the highlights. Um, I managed to get the full game on the Rans TV. First of all, obviously, the result, uh, a derby win, 3-2. Uh, patches, certainly from what I saw of the game, were pretty pretty decent from a derby perspective. Certainly going forward, the uh, the the reinclusion, not even the reinclusion, the the continued conclu- inclusion uh, of of Sibley, um, obviously bearing fruit with a hat trick for him on Saturday. I just think, obviously, takeaways three goals, we don't win the game, but you know, just his overall play was um, was pretty impressive, um, which which was nice. And uh, long may that continue. Um, and I think you know any. We didn't know what to expect after after four months away. I don't think any any team probably did. Um, so to actually hit the ground running like that with a with a pretty decent performance away from home in London, uh, you know, a box that we've not been able to tick on very many occasions this season. Um, but we managed to uh, we managed to on Saturday. I think the one disappointment for me, uh, obviously, conceding two goals is always. A bit, a bit of a disappointment. Um, the first one, of course, was was in from out from wide cross. Big Matt Smith up front, as we expected, as as you said, as Dan as Dan mentioned last week. It's it's their it's their threat. But I thought, other than that, to be perfectly honest with you, with Millwall, they caught us out on the break once or twice when we were trying to overplay. I don't know if you really saw it too much from the highlights, but um, but certainly we got to the edge of their 18, 18 yard area. Uh, we just didn't have that final ball, but you know, it was a Rowett's a Rowett style team, 11 men behind the ball, very difficult to break down. Uh, couldn't quite find that killer, killer instinct. And then, um, you know, the, the odd giveaway possession in midfield, uh, Rooney got caught a couple of times, cost us a little bit, uh, could have, could have conceded more. I thought Ben Hayne was pretty, pretty solid to be perfectly honest with you on, on Saturday, did what he had to do. Um, don't think there's anything in particular that he did badly or, or wrong. So that, that was, that was a positive. Um, and then just as was as it has been all season, just the overall sometimes the lack of concentration and, uh, of defending at the back uh, cost us the the comfortability in the last five minutes to go. For me, you know, when the team news came out and I saw Chris Martin was on the bench, I think he was um, unlucky to have been dropped. But obviously, Kaku said that he liked the way Waghorn interchanged with Sibley a little bit more, um, and it worked quite well. Obviously, Sibley got three goals, but but Waghorn was instrumental, at least in one of them. He laid the ball straight off to him, so hopefully, long may that continue. Um, and yeah, I mean, what can you say about Louis Sibley? He goes into a Millwall area with 
four players takes them all on and, and hits it in upper 90s. So, you know, um, there's nothing that I'm going to add that's not already been said about King Louie, um, you know, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully, um, I think, you know, the lad wants to improve, the lad wants to get better, which is, which is fantastic. And hopefully um, Darby are in the position where they can keep him long-term. Because I know today Kaku said, um, Conway, uh, Ryan Conway asked him tongue-in-cheek, um, yeah. how, how much would Sibley be worth? And he said no one could afford him. Um, yeah. so hopefully, you know, the club do stick to the guns this time. We don't sell young players cheap. Um, and the lad continues to grow and develop, um, you know, long, long may that continue. And hopefully he can take that form into Reading because now, you know, obviously in the last two games, he scored four goals, which is I think more than Marriott has all season. Um, obviously yeah. there's a three, there's three months in between the two games, but to see picking him, him picking up where he left off, um, it's just, it's just great to see it. And who doesn't love a young player Academy graduate, um, tearing it up. So Absolutely. You know, it's just, just a feel-good factor all the way around. Yeah, I, I think you saw how much it meant to him, that first goal. You know, he is a Derby fan, first and foremost. Uh, you know, he's grew, he's, he, is an, he is a graduate, like you say, an academy graduate from the area. He is a Derby fan through and through, and he's always said that, you, he, you know, he's, one of his biggest dreams was to score for Derby. So, you know, that, that's great. And as you say, long may that continue. Moving on to the final bit uh, of the podcast this week. Obviously, the contracts, you may well have seen, we've put various bits and pieces out over social media, thanks to Corey this week. Um, and I'm now going to do an impromptu Q&A uh, and the questions that Corey put on Twitter, I'm going to ask him the answers. I think we have pretty much brushed over this in previous, but obviously, as, as things develop from the club, um, we, we want to put our two pence worth in. Um, so it's been agreed, I believe, that Chris Martin... Uh, is staying until at least the end of this nine-game period. I believe Craig Forsyth has signed something similar, which may be even longer. Uh, I believe Curtis Davis has got a year extension based on appearances. Uh, and my latest understanding is that Tom Huddleston has not yet to agree anything in terms of playing the last nine ga- eight games as it is now or further on, but talks are ongoing. I believe that's the situation. So going through those at this stage in time, Corey, obviously I know it's only a couple of weeks ago really since we last covered this, but um, has, your opinion, has your opinion of anybody changed in terms of who's been given a deal and who, who's, what's being offered where and, and why? Uh, no, I think um, obviously uh, I want to see Martin stay for a longer period of time. I, I just think we've, we've talked about this um, earlier on and so not to beat that drum to death, but... Uh, Chris Martin's a clash player at this division um, at this level. And, and sometimes clubs and players go together. Chris Martin's one of those, in my opinion, um, the short-term extension is a good, a good stepping stone from, from what I've read from, from, from Ryan Conway and other, and others. Um, it's a closer with Martin than it is uh, to, to get a deal done. There's, there's a wanted willingness from both sides to, to sign on for a bit of a longer term. So hopefully that's announced very soon. Um, in a way, I was a bit surprised that Forsyth was re-signed. I think thinking about it, that probably means Malone's out the door because he's not in the first team picture at all. Um, yeah. So, but for two years for him, I don't know. He's been a great servant, but we talked about are we really in that in that mindset to be getting out contract? So, in my opinion, it would have to have been on vastly reduced terms. I don't think he could be on anywhere near the same kind of money that he was on before. Um, Short, uh, I think the the deal for Curtis Davis was triggered by a clause in his contract. I think that also came yeah. from Ryan Conway. Um, so hopefully, you know, when those are said in the contract, they're probably on the same wages. Um, 
I know we've talked about this, Jason. I think having Curtis Davis around is still a good idea. Um, he's getting on a bit, but he's a good, good, a good pro. He's good with the uh, younger players. He's good in the dressing room. He's a good kind of club ambassador, captain kind of role. He stepped in very well after the incident with Absolutely. and really steadied the ship. Um, and we can't be handing contracts out, but also center half is a weak, um, a weak position uh, for for uh, for Darby. Obviously, you don't know what Bielik going to be like when he comes back. Um, Tavirik um, should be joining sometime around uh, the next the Preston game, July one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not to play, obviously, but to to be in the thing. So I think to have him in the building and around around the squad is good. But I don't think that that contract's looking like that's going to be a you're going to play every week kind of deal unless something catastrophic uh, happens. Um, yeah. And then obviously, Tom Huddleston, from what I've read with from Conway and other people, or what, oh, I'm plugging Ryan Conway a lot. Thanks, Ryan, for the scoops. Um, but, um, yeah, it seems like they're a little bit further away. Uh, we've talked about this. I don't think there's a need for Tom Huddleston. I think, you know, again, he's a, he's a steady pro, and he's kind of like a Curtis Davis. He's a, he's a good leader and whatever. But, you know, um, my my opinion of him kind of soured when he took that video of Bennett and put it on Snapchat uh, with the drinking incident. Um, and plus we're loaded in that position as well. So it's not necessarily um, a deep requirement to keep him because I think, you know, you've got Rudy to fill that leadership void um, that, uh, that, that he would leave as well. So um, yeah. And obviously no new deal for a catchy Anya. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree with you. I think, like you say, the Curtis Davis one, I, I can understand why they'd want him around. Um, it was obviously, as you say, it was written into his contract. Was he really honestly going to go anywhere else and get another two-year deal? No, probably not. He was only ever probably ever going to go and get a 12-month deal. And um, Was it going to be on the kind of money that he's probably still on now, even on reduced terms? Probably not. So, I can understand it from both parties. And as you say, it's a position that, like you say, you've got, you know, Bielik, who's out injured still. Um, you've obviously got Matt Clark going back. Um, yes, you've got Tavirik coming in, but what kind of a adjustment periods are you going to need? You obviously, as we know, we've not got Keo anymore. Uh, so you've got Wisdom, who's a half centre-back. He is probably your only out-and-out centre-back on the books in Davis. So I can understand why they've done that. Probably look at it. Um, you know, into the transfer window, see if there's anybody else that they can bring in potentially. Um, and then maybe, um, you know, if they can bring somebody in, just turn around to him and say, look, you know, if you want to, if you actually want to play football, then, you know, you, you may as well go because you're just not going to get that time here. So I, I can kind of see that coming. But as I say, from an experienced point of view, uh, yeah, more, more than happy for him to be around Huddleston. I have to, I have to agree with you pretty much, perfect, one hundred percent. I just don't see the need for him around the club anymore. Um, that's not to say that he hasn't been a great servant on his two stints with Derby, um, but he, as you say, he's you just stacked out in that position. Um, he's taking, uh, well, he's not even taking a bench place off somebody because he's not even in the team, is he? You know, what I mean, he's players like that, and like you say, Scott Malone. I would have to say, if the Forsyth deal's gone through, you would have to think. He's probably on less money than what Malone's on now. Obviously, this is all conspiracy theory, but um, you'd expect that Forsyth's probably taken a pay cut uh, under Malone. And so, like you say, I think Malone could well be heading for the door um, come the summer. And I'm not his biggest fan, so that wouldn't be the end of the world, from my opinion. Um, 
I think also, you know, you don't know what the transfer market's going to look like COVID-wise. So it's hedging yeah. your bets with the players you already have in the door. We saw it with Chelsea giving a contract to Olivier Giroud for another year. You, d- you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what the replacements are going to look like. So if you've got them in the building, sign them up on, on short-term deals. I fully agree with you. I think it's better to have them and to hold to hold on to them rather than let them go and then, you know, two weeks before the season, you've got to find five players that you've got to gel within 10 days uh, of, of the restart of the campaign. You know, we've, we've kind of struggled with that some, in some respects in, in previous years. So I'd have to agree with you there. Whilst it might not make great sense, but at the end of the day, um, if you bring them in, you can always turn around and say, look, you know, you, you're not actually going to get any football uh, here now, you know, your choice is yours kind of thing. Or, you know, go out on loan till January, see what happens. Or, you know, there's obviously there's plenty of scenarios. But you're quite right. We don't know what the transfer market is going to be like. Um, so, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather have competition for places uh, rather than, you know, trying to trying to scrape a scrape a starting eleven together. And I don't know if you uh, if you read, and I don't know how true it is. I, I read a report the other day that they're on about bring. Obviously, the salary cap is is in conversation for the EFL, and they're also on about uh, reducing the squad size to a maximum of twenty uh, twenty players in in a senior squad. So, you know that's that would that would shave off. I don't want to use the word dead wood because I think that's a bit harsh. But you know those those players that I've just signed, kind of those extensions, if they are going to be not quite as involved bit part players you know what's the squad probably running at now 24 to 26 probably um so you know you're looking at five to six players okay maybe one i know he doesn't want to go this way but you could possibly look at one or two of the academy players and who have been training with the first team or have been involved this season in the first team and going okay you're not quite at that standard so we've unfortunately we've got to make room for you um which we can't do at the moment and as you say there's a couple of 30 33 plus shall we say players who were who were just sat on the bench? You know, you could easily see those see those out the door to to keep that to keep that squad in in regulation, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, and I think um, yeah, it would be good to to just reduce the amount of players generally at, at all these clubs. Um, you know, just give opportunities to different players and, and let the players move on and and move about a bit, equalize the league a little bit. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Right, I think that is definitely enough from us this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Um, Obviously, next week's pod, we are going to be double booked. We have got um, the uh, uh, in the pipeline, we are on with a Preston and Nottingham Forest fan, as we are back to two games a week, or three games in seven days, as as I should say. So... um, not quite worked out how we're going to do that as of yet if that means that we put out two smaller podcasts a week or accumulate them all into into one um we've got to we've got to work on to the logistics of that at this moment in time it kind of depends when we can get hold of people to uh, to make sure we've got some uh, got some quality content for you um my thanks to always Corey. it's been it's been a pleasure again um and looking forward to saturday and let the ball get rolling with three games in a week um so we've got some Real football to look forward to. Yeah, I agree. And don't forget, it's American Ram Week next week. And we've got a few surprises in store. Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, everybody who follow, listens and follows on our social media, keep your eyes out for that. Obviously, with half of this podcast coming from the, from, uh, from the US, uh, we've decided to, to have a little surprise next week, ready for 4th of July weekend. Uh, I wouldn't 
give you a clue because I don't think you'd guess it from the clue, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, get ready for more than one podcast at least. I've just spoiled that, so there's probably going to be two at least next week, possibly even the third. So, um, But look forward to that, guys. Um, thanks as always, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at Rams Review 1. Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much and up the Rams.